This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Welcome to It's All Political, the San Francisco Chronicle's political podcast. I'm Joe Garofoli, the Chronicle's senior political writer. And today in the podcast, we are talking to one of the seven Republican congressmen in California, Congressman Tom McClintock. He represents sort of a, a rural and exurban district that runs from around Lake Tahoe south to near Fresno. And even though he's one of the most conservative members of Congress, I always like talking to him because once in a while he breaks from the party on something. Like he wants to legalize marijuana, federally, everywhere. And we also talk about what he thinks about what's going on in Turkey and impeachment and whether Americans should trust the intelligence community. Here's my conversation with Tom McClintock. Congressman Tom McClintock, welcome to It's All Political. How are you doing? Thank you, Joe. You, you are speaking to us from uh, our nation's capital, correct? I am. All right. Now, I, I'm very excited to have you on. I always enjoy talking to you because uh, you are someone who is not afraid to go against your party sometimes. And I, and I know we, we talked about this in the past, but for example, you were the... You were for the legalization of cannabis far before every other Republican, even though you are no fan of marijuana itself. Uh, that is one of one of the greatest endorsements I've ever read. Is when you well, uh, I'm <laughs> a bigger fan of freedom and yes. uh, responsibility that every grown adult uh, takes to manage their own lives and make their own decisions. Frankly, I've got enough trouble running my own life without trying to run everybody else's. <laughs> okay, all right. Um, so I want to get you, uh, your take on a couple of things uh, going on right now and, and, uh, and, and some longstanding issues, too. Um, first of all, this week, uh, I, th- I believe you opposed the resolution to oppose President Trump's decision to uh, withdraw U.S. troops right. from the Kurdish-held region of northern Syria. Now, I passed the House 354 to 60, so you're, you're one of the 60. Why did you oppose that? Well, uh, very simply because uh, I have long believed that uh, we need to practice some very uh, uh, fundamental principles uh, when it comes to uh, uh, committing our our troops into harm's way. And there were principles that guided our country uh, until the Korean War. Number one, we don't attack another nation unless we're attacked. And when we're forced into a war, Congress has to formally declare it and put the full resources of the country behind it and get it over with as quickly as possible. Um, uh, we didn't do that after the attack on September 11th, and the result is we have now been mired in two decades of aimless, irresolute policy. Uh, we've sacrificed thousands of, uh, of, of, of brave young American troops. We've squandered trillions of dollars uh, out of our, of, of our national treasury. And this, this was the situation that, uh, that Donald Trump inherited from George W. Bush and Barack Obama. Uh, he had some very bad alternatives, and I think he chose the least bad of them. Um, uh, uh, yes, it does create a military vacuum there. It's drawn in Turkey and Russia, remnants of the Islamic State. Uh, it's driven the Kurds to, to ally with the, the regime of, of al-Assad. Uh, 
none of that's desirable, but I don't think any of that justifies keeping American troops in harm's way when we don't have a strategy or a commitment to accomplish anything other than continuing the stalemate. And if, if the Congress uh, is so fervently objects to the order to withdraw troops that it never authorized in the first place, maybe it ought to have the courage to authorize those troops, but it doesn't. But so do you think it was a good idea to, to bring those troops home? As you alluded to, it, it, it could lead to resurgence of, uh, of ISIS. Uh, it, it could, but I think it was the least of, of the bad alternatives that the president had. Don't forget, this is something he promised the American people that he would do. And the fact is, the, the, the Kurds and the Turks have been uh, enemies for centuries, and I don't see any American interest that, that justifies maintaining U.S. troops in the crossfire. Um, what uh, do you think? Could Why not just do nothing there? Why not just leave the troops there and, you know, prevent... Uh, well, that's, the, that's what we've been doing uh, uh, for many years now, and, right. and, and, and it's caused a continuing stalemate. Uh, you know, you, you, we never had a, uh, a commitment to victory uh, uh, we never had a uh, uh, the, the the will to put the full might and fury of our country behind our troops when we put them in harm's way. That's not fair to them. So you know, what... you know, I, I I just have a very old fashioned view of of, of war. Uh, you try to do everything you can to stay out of it, uh, and when you have no other choice, you commit all of your resources and get it over with just as quickly as you possibly can. You're not concerned that this is a uh, something to be done to uh, be friendlier with Russia, uh, to to help them out in any way. Well, I think this has been the least uh, Russia-friendly administration of the last four or five. Uh, so no, I don't. I, I I think it was fulfilling a promise he made to the American people in 2016 uh, that he would stop these endless wars. And um, uh, I, as I said, I don't think there was a good alternative. I think he chose the least bad of the alternatives he had available. Right. What should be done next there? What would you like to see done next in that region? Uh, I don't see a vital, uh, uh, an American interest so vital in that region that would require the commitment of, of uh, troops. Um, uh, you know, that may change as events change, but at the moment, I think that we need to uh, uh, regroup, uh, uh, and when we engage, we engage with the economic uh, uh, sanctions that the president has proposed, uh, uh, and uh, through diplomatic channels. But I, I think this business of trying to uh, be the policeman of the world uh, has, has proven um, uh, enormously costly, both in American lives and American treasure. And you'd, you'd like to see the troops come home from uh, Afghanistan as, as well, I imagine. Uh, yes, if we have no commitment to uh, uh, for an unconditional surrender of, of, of the opposition, and we didn't, um, uh, we should not have gotten involved in the first place anyway. You know, when you when you go back and take a look at Afghanistan and look at the the uh, uh, Bush administration's response to it, I think it was wholly inadequate. Uh, uh, that was an attack by the Taliban government of Afghanistan, using uh, as its agency the. Uh, al-Qaeda organization, of uh, that required the president to come to Congress the next day and ask for a declaration of war. It required the Congress to put the full resources of the country behind that, annihilate the Taliban regime in Afghanistan. Had we done that, uh, I don't think we would be dealing with world 
terrorism today because we would have taught uh, the world a lesson that it would not have forgotten. But because we lacked the leadership uh, in George W. Bush, I think was a terrible president, uh, the, um, uh, uh, the, the, and the commitment of the Congress to put the full resources of the country behind the troops we placed over there, uh, we simply made a bad situation. Um, I, I won't say worse, but uh, but certainly did not resolve uh, the situation there. And then two years later, turned around and attacked Iraq without provocation uh, that had nothing to do with the attack on 9-11. My, I, I'm just, and squandered I, 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 more lives and, and more truth. This just crossed my mind, but I think this may be one of, uh, other than uh, cannabis, I think this may be one of uh, two areas where you agree with uh, Barbara Lee, you're, uh, where you know she famously was the only person not to vote for the authorization for war. Would you have Would you have been with Barbara Lee? Barbara Lee McClintock against uh, the authorization to go to war. I, I, I think for some very different reasons. Yes, uh, yes. <laughs> obviously. But uh, you know, I said at the time, you know, if if Congress can't, you know, what, what they did instead of a declaration of war was a, an authorization for the use of military force. And I wasn't in the Congress then, but what right, I said at right. the time was that, you know, if, if, if you cannot bear to call it a war, then that is nature's way of warning you. You're not prepared to wage one. And, and you know, we've been trying to wage sort of wars of, uh, since Korea, and they've not worked out well. If, if there is such a thing, we're really bad at them, we ought, and, and, and we ought to go back to policies that served our country well uh, for several centuries. And that is, as I said, uh, uh, we only attack a foreign country if they attack us. When we do, uh, we put everything we've got behind it and get over with as quickly as possible. Yeah. I wanted to uh, ask you about the current impeachment investigation. Uh, on Thursday, which is the day before we recorded this, uh, acting chief of staff uh, Mick Mulvaney said there are three issues that explain why the administration held up aid to Ukraine. And among them was that uh, President Trump demanded that the Ukrainian officials investigate the issue of the Democratic National Committee server and, and, and what the, and the jamming of the uh, 2016 election. Mulvaney also said, quote, did he also mention to me in passing the corruption related to the DNC server? Absolutely, no question about that. He also said, that's why we held up the money. Now later yesterday, he also, he walked that back. Do you have a problem with what Mulvaney said there uh, initially? Well, I've not actually seen his entire uh, press conference remarks yet, so I, I, I can't comment directly on that. But I, I can say that I, I think the Constitution gives the president the sole authority to conduct our diplomatic affairs, and it gives him the responsibility to see that the laws are faithfully executed. So he's got every responsibility and uh, every authority to request a foreign government to cooperate in getting to the bottom of possibly corrupt interactions between officials in our government and theirs. Now, the fact that Biden's a candidate for president currently certainly doesn't shield him from investigations involving wrongdoing while he was vice president. Uh, and after all, Trump was subjected to investigation while he was a candidate on the basis of false opposition research commissioned by the Clinton campaign. Um, so I think the relevant question is, is whether there was probable cause to launch such an investigation. With respect to the Trump investigation, it's beginning to appear there wasn't. We're going to know a lot more about uh, uh, the follow-up investigations when the Horowitz and Durham investigations are complete. I think time will tell. Now, I, the, the reason I wanted to ask you about this is you, you've long developed a, a reputation as a fiscal hawk. You, are, all, you watch every dollar where the our federal tax dollar, uh, taxpayer dollars go. So how is it appropriate for Trump to hold up aid, foreign aid is taxpayer money, to Ukraine 
in you know to investigate a theory that kind of runs counter to what all the intelligence uh, agencies have said that Ukraine was not behind. Uh, well, actually, agenda. as you know, there are very active investigations uh, by uh, John Durham uh, and uh, the U.S. attorney uh, involving these charges. So um, they're certainly not baseless. We're going to know a lot more as that investigation unfolds. But um, don't forget, you have a new administration uh, elected in the Ukraine uh, under Zelensky uh, specifically to uh, uh, drain their swamp, to, to go after corruption. Uh, in within their government. Um, uh, so as this new administration is coming in, I think the president has every right and reason uh, to uh, to to make sure that they are committed uh, to uh, to cooperating with the U.S. Uh, in in corruption investigations involving uh, officials of our country, as well as they uh, they are to to investigate corruption involving officials of theirs before he releases hundreds of millions of dollars of taxpayer money to that government. I don't. Uh, you know, again, I, I realize that that, um, that the president is is certainly uh, you know, ham-handed in a lot of the things that he does. He is not a skilled diplomat, uh, but he has every right, every responsibility, and every reason uh, to assure that we're not pumping hundreds of millions of dollars more into a government that's simply continuing the corruption of the previous one. And so I think the questions were appropriate, even if they were cringeworthy in the way they were worded. Do you, and you, but you do believe that the the Russians interfered in the 2016 election, correct? Well, the, uh, I used to, and the more evidence that comes out, the more I'm starting to question that. For example, of uh, what, what are the pillars of the of the Russian uh, intervention? We know there was no collusion with the Trump campaign, right. uh, but we're still told, well, the Russians were interfering with the campaign. Well, what's the basis of that? Uh, there are several charges. Uh, one that the Russian government uh, used uh, uh, basically was doing internet trolling uh, to um, uh, disguise themselves as American citizens and interfere with the debate going on on the internet uh, on um, uh, on the campaign. Uh, this was what uh, 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 Mueller's team charged. But those Russian trolling firms uh, are currently. Uh, uh, fighting those charges in federal court, and several months ago went to the court and said, "Hey, um, they've not actually. They, they, we have no connection with the Russian government. These were were you know, uh, this was a private company. Apparently, it was trying to make money off the American election, and yet Mueller and his team keep saying that we are controlled by the Russian government. We're not, and that's prejudicial to our case. They went to the judge. The judge says, "You're right. That's prejudicial." Called in Mueller's team and said. I want to see the evidence that you've accumulated that these firms are tied to the Russian government. And Mueller's team said, there, we have no such evidence. We're not making that charge. And she says, we certainly are publicly. And it was the very next day, and she says, and I'm prepared to hold you in criminal contempt for doing this. The very next day, Mueller holds this press conference and makes a sharp distinction between uh, uh, charges that the Russian government was involved and these Russian trolling firms were involved. So that falls away. Uh, uh, what are the other basis of the charges uh, that uh, George Papadopoulos was told by a Russian agent, I believe it was Joseph Mifsud, uh, uh, that um, uh, uh, the Russian government was intervening in the election, Russian uh, uh, Mifsud being identified by the, by the Mueller team as a Russian intelligence asset. Turns out Mifsud is not a Russian intelligence asset. He's an American intelligence asset. 
And this information appears to have been funneled from American intelligence agencies through MIFSUD to Papadopoulos and then used as, as one of the bases uh, for this charge. Uh, so as, as, as more and more evidence comes to the surface, I'm beginning to question the very foundation of that charge. Do you, I mean, the most intelligence agencies said there's a strong possibility, probability that, that the Russians did interfere. Should Americans trust the intelligence agencies? Uh, I'm starting to question the, the degree to which they have become politicized uh, and whether they are trustworthy. You know, don't forget it was those same uh, intelligence agencies that uh, told us that there were weapons of mass destruction in Iraq. Turns out that was false. Was it politically motivated? Uh, I don't know, but it's starting to look that way. But you, but should Americans trust them? I mean, or do, you, do you still have trust you know, in them? To, to be honest, I don't think Americans ought to trust any concentration of power. Uh, uh, you know, when, you, when you lend power to your government, you ought, to, you, you ought to watch it like a hawk. You're listening to my conversation with Congressman Tom McClintock. We'll have more after the break. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. Welcome back. Let's get back to my conversation with Congressman Tom McClintock. Recently, you, you, you said uh, very colorfully that you would like the um, uh, Democrats to vote on, put, put to a full vote of the House on whether there should be a, an official impeachment inquiry. In fact, you said, in fact, I, I dare you to do it. In fact, I double dog dare you to do it. And we're going to play a little clip of that. If the majority wants to exercise the House's power of impeachment, all you've got to do is ask the House to do so. All you have to do is ask the House that it direct and authorize this committee to conduct an impeachment inquiry. That's all you have to do. Resolve that the House authorizes the Judiciary Committee to conduct an inquiry into the impeachment of the president. It's that simple. I dare you to do it. In fact, I double dog dare you to do it. Have the House vote on those 18 words and then go at it. Why won't you do that? What, what's the value in, in uh, having a full House vote on an impeachment inquiry? Isn't that a, a, what, would that, what would that do for you? Well, it's, it's, it's required uh, uh, to begin with. Um, uh, well, the, con- the Constitution doesn't require it, though. Con- no, the Constitution gives to the House of Representatives the sole power of impeachment. The House rules are silent on the subject, and therefore we are governed by the precedent of the House. And the precedent of the House, going back to the Andrew Johnson impeachment in 1868, is that the House uh, uh, has to have a formal vote uh, to initiate such an investigation, uh, particularly with respect to the, the Nixon and uh, Clinton investigations, the Nixon-Clinton investigation being based upon the rules of the Nixon investigation, uh, uh, required that so that the House which holds that sole constitutional authority, can delegate that authority to a committee, uh, uh, and it's not done so. And by the way, those rules, those rules also invoke a great number of procedural uh, uh, safeguards, uh, uh, due process, the right to uh, confront your accuser, the right to uh, 
call witnesses, uh, uh, the right to cross-examine witnesses. Um, uh, you know, these are all fundamentals of due process, and the, the impeachment process uh, 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 has to set those principles in motion in order for it to be legitimate. Do, um, one more thing about uh, the, the next year's election. Uh, do you have any, what concerns do you have about foreign interests hacking next year's election? Do you have the full confidence that this will be a, a free and fair election? I don't know. Uh, yes, I am concerned about it, um, uh, although, I'm, as I said, I'm becoming very skeptical over a lot of the hyperbole we see about Russian involvement in the 2016 election. Um, it, that should always be a concern. But I think an even greater concern uh, to uh, uh, the intervention of foreign governments in our election is the intervention of our own government in the election. As more evidence comes forward, and again, we'll know a lot more when the uh, Horowitz and, and uh, Durham reports are, are released, uh, it's becoming clear that the highest levels of our intelligence and uh, Justice Department agencies uh, were involved in um, in taking what they knew was a fraudulent document, the Steele dossier, using that as a pretense for to launch an investigation and then leak the uh, existence of that investigation to the press in an attempt to uh, uh, to to uh, interfere in the 2016 presidential election. And when they failed to turn that election, they then used that as as uh, uh, Strzok uh, called it the uh, the insurance policy to undermine the, and and to obstruct the legitimately elected president of the United States. Those are very great concerns of mine because they strike at the very heart of our democratic process. Um, I want to talk a little bit about. Uh uh, the the recent uh, blackouts here in California. You represent, I think, uh, not not maybe not the largest district in the state, but certainly uh, you, you spread over ten counties. It runs from what Lake Tahoe down to Fresno. It's a, it's a massive district, very rural district here in California. Uh, you saw what happened recently with the blackouts in, in Northern California. What do you want PG&E to do? How do you want them to handle? You know, you know the situation there and now. What do you want from them? Well, for first and foremost, don't make the situation worse. And I think that's what they did. This was a bad decision by PG&E that, w- that we do have to recognize was driven by very bad public policy. The bad decision was that uh, PG&E uh, uh, balanced the possibility of a power line causing an ignition. Remember, about 90% of our forest fires are not caused by power line ignitions. They're caused by any number of other factors, errant campfires, uh, uh, chains dragging uh, on, on, on roads, uh, 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 lightning strikes. Uh, only about 10% of our water fires are actually caused by, uh, by uh, a power line ignition. Yeah, but two massive deadly fires recently were, though. They balanced that possibility against the absolute certainty that a deliberate act by that company uh, would cause millions of dollars of economic losses and create uh, uh, hazardous conditions that could cost lives. For example, uh, I was talking to K-High Radio in my district, Auburn. Uh, they were knocked off the air for two days because of these blackouts. Mm. Had there been a, a fire caused by 90% of the other causes of fires, uh, uh, anybody to, trying to get information from that station, of course, would not be able to do so. They wouldn't have power in their homes, mm. and the station would have been knocked off the air anyway. Trying to coordinate emergency responses in areas with no electricity is a nightmare. Uh, that is what PG&E set into motion. Now, having said all that, I will also... Uh, uh, 
recognized that they were between a rock and a hard place because of very bad public policies. Among them, uh, state liability laws that hold them strictly liable for damages, even if the uh, ignition is no fault of their own. A, a dead federal tree falls on a, a, a power line that's going to cause a fire. That's not PG&E's fault, that, and, that gets us to the, uh, and they should not be held liable for that. Sec- and that gets us to the second bad public policy, and that is the abandonment of our forests to, to neglect uh, for these past 45 years since we began imposing uh, environmental laws that have made the active management of our forests all but impossible. We used to maintain our forests, match the uh, tree density to the ability of the land to support it. That made our forests uh, highly resistant to disease, pestilence, uh, and catastrophic wildfire, uh, not to mention drought. Um, uh, uh, in the 45 years where these laws have impeded our ability to manage our forests, uh, we've watched them become morbidly overgrown, uh, and we've watched the acres destroyed by fire uh, grow exponentially. We've had about an 80% decline in excess timber harvested off of our uh, uh, federal lands uh, over the past uh, uh, 30 years, right. and we've seen a concomitant increase in uh, acres destroyed by fire. And then third, um, uh, the green energy laws have caused uh, uh, PG&E, PG&E and other utilities to squander billions of dollars that could have been uh, going into proper maintenance of their of their equipment, and there are equipment problems pg and now has as a result of that. So which, which, what's the role of the federal government and what should they do be doing uh, towards pg e Do you see a role in the federal government? Oh, absolutely. The most important thing we can be doing is properly managing our forests uh, uh, so that uh, uh, a dead and dying timber along uh, a public rights or uh, uh, along utility rights of way are cleared before they can fall and cause these fires, uh, as well as, uh, as restoring the active forest management practices uh, that were instituted um, uh, with the U.S. Forest Service and that properly managed and maintained our forests. Uh, you know, when, when people say, well, this is the new normal, I have to disagree. If you go back in, 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 into the history of our, our forests in California, you'll find this is not the new normal. This is the old normal reasserting itself. Uh, uh, before we managed our, our forests, uh, California lost between 4 and 12 million acres a year to catastrophic fire. Uh, uh, around the turn of the last century, when we began actively managing our forests, we brought that loss down to a very consistent quarter million acres sure, but of how, how fire about, damage. How about, and now, last year, we're up to two million acres. So what's happened is, uh, uh, over the uh, past several decades, we've stopped actively managing our forests, and they uh, they, they do what any uh, uh, abandoned or neglected uh, a garden will do. They will grow and grow and grow until they choke themselves to death. That's what's happened to our federal forests, and that's why we're seeing uh, this dramatic increase in the frequency and intensity of our forest fires. I know this this is more of a local issue, but do you think what responsibility is it for local officials to, you know, restrict maybe building uh, in these areas? There's neighborhoods sprawling into, uh, you know, areas that weren't weren't, uh, inhabited uh, many years ago, which you're referring to. What is the role? Should we be restricting development? In, in some of these areas that might be more fire prone? Well, the, the, the risk uh, uh, regulates uh, uh, that very nicely on its own. Uh, that's where the, the uh, uh, fire insurance comes in. People are seeing a dramatically, uh, in fact, uh, unaffordable increases in fire insurance. Why is that? Because insurance is, a, is, is how we monetize risk. It's how markets assign a dollar value to a risk. As the risk increases, the premiums increase. 
when the risk uh, uh, becomes um, uh, unacceptable, the insurance becomes unavailable. That's what's going on right now. Uh, so in, in, in essence, because we've done such a bad job managing our forests and have produced this new era of massive forest fires, uh, you're seeing the, intel- the uh, insurance rates uh, doing that by themselves. Now, that's not a good thing. That's a very bad thing. We've got to bring those premiums down. But the, the only way to do that is to bring the risk down. And the only way to do that is to restore active management to our, our forests. Okay. Um, I want to ask you uh, one more thing. I know you've got to run uh, about cannabis. You're in the middle of, of the discussion of it in, in, in uh, Washington. Should cannabis be legalized under federal law? I believe it should, yes. Okay. And uh, and, and, and by the way, I, I, I detest marijuana. I've never used it. Uh, <laughs> my wife and I raised our kids never to go near the stuff successfully. Uh, uh, but uh, you know, we have to recognize that our laws uh, prohibiting it have done enormous uh, damage. They've created a violent underground economy. And frankly, uh, uh, they, have, they have assured it's much easier for children to access marijuana. I remember a deputy sheriff a few years ago saying, you know, he could take any two kids at random from any high school uh, in, in, in our region, give them each $20, tell one to go out and buy pot and the other to go out and buy booze. He says, the one who uh, I send out to go buy pot will be the first one back every time because they all the kids know where to get it, and the pot dealer's business depends on breaking the law. He's got no compulsion uh, against selling it to them. Uh, the, the kid I send to a liquor store is going to get carted by one liquor store after another and get kicked out. Uh, so uh, the, 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 the prohibition laws that we have uh, have been a dismal failure. They have, they have created a, a great deal of problems, far worse than, than marijuana. And uh, I think at some point we've got to recognize two things. best way to keep it out of the hands of kids is to regulate it as we regulate alcohol. Uh, it's not going to be perfect, but it, it will do a much better job. Uh, uh, and um, uh, when somebody reaches the age of 18, you know, they're entitled to run their own lives. And how, how soon do you think that will happen and other Republicans will see this issue the same way you do and, and that will be legalized under federal law? How, how soon could that happen? Uh, I, I think that's not too far off. I mean, every year I've noticed more and more uh, Republicans and Democrats coming to the same conclusion that these, these, these laws are, are doing more harm than good. And, you know, when somebody... Uh, a few years ago, and somebody says, well, uh, you know, look at all these young people whose lives uh, uh, marijuana is ruining. And my response to that is, look, you want to talk about ruining young lives, how about the millions of young people uh, who've had a felony conviction of, uh, because they, uh, they were caught with marijuana in their dorm room at college, and, and, uh, uh, and, and that conviction follows them around for the rest of their lives. These, these, these laws have not done any good. They've done enormous harm. I think you and Barbara Lee agree on two issues there. <laughs> well, it, it just comes down, to, you know, free, freedom works, and 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 almost every problem facing society, uh, freedom is usually the best answer. Hey, uh, Congressman, thank you so much for joining us here today. I appreciate it. I will see you hopefully soon in the district. I uh, look forward to it, Joe. Thanks a lot. Okay, thank you so much. Bye bye. Bye bye. I'd like to thank you all for listening. I'd like to thank Congressman McClintock for joining us from Washington, D.C. I'd like to thank the King, King Kaufman, and the Crate One, Karen Creighton, for producing today's podcast. And remember, whether you trust our nation's intelligence community or are dubious of what we're being told, it's all political. It's all political as part of the San Francisco Chronicle Podcast Network. Audrey Cooper is our editor-in-chief. 
Our music, our theme music that we have is Cattle Call. That's written by Randy Clark and performed by Randy Clark and Crow Song. If you like this show, subscribe, rate, and review it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. For more great journalism like this, subscribe to the San Francisco Chronicle at sanfranciscochronicle.com slash subscribe. You can find me on Twitter at Joe Garofoli. Thanks.